So Money Episode 959, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Michael Reynolds. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Friday, November 1st, Ask Farnoosh time. Can you believe it? We made it to November 1st. And just a reminder, it's daylight savings this weekend. I never know if that's always like a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think we get an extra hour this weekend, or maybe not. Am I wrong about that, Michael? Um, I think it's spring forward, fall back, so we do gain the hour. We gain the hour. I think it's a good thing, yeah. It's a good thing. Everybody, Michael Reynolds is back on the show. He is the founder of Elevation Financial. He's an independent financial advisor. He's also, more recently, the host of a weekly personal finance podcast called Wealth Redefined. Michael, welcome back to So Money. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Tell us about Wealth Redefined, because that seems to be the most recent development on your front, and I want to learn about it and catch up. Yeah, thanks. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of podcasting. I love podcasting as a medium. I think it's a great way to communicate and educate, so I have a lot of fun with it. And I wanted to start a new podcast on personal finance to kind of just really educate and share information with my clients. So it's not necessarily meant to be this big, huge marketing thing. It's really meant to just kind of share information with uh, you know, my listeners, my audience, my clients. And I chose the name Wealth Redefined because I think as a, um, I guess as an industry, uh, especially younger people, we're kind of redefining what it means to be wealthy and what it means to um, to develop wealth and to build wealth. And so I just kind of like to explore modern ways to talk about wealth. Going on this uh, theme of accessibility, what do you think is going to happen to the industry down the road? There are so many people that could benefit from financial advice, professional financial advice, but perhaps they don't fit that kind of criteria, that traditional criteria of having all this money under management or having a a positive net worth yet. So many of us still have student loan debt. So how is the industry addressing this? Well, for a large part, it's not. I mean, the industry is not really doing a great job yet at addressing it, but I think there's there's pockets of disruption happening. So I'm a member of XY Planning Network, which I know you're familiar with. It's a yes. kind of a um, just a, a really modern, somewhat rebellious uh, community of financial advisors who are fee-only fiduciary and who are modeling their service in a different way. And so I feel like there's a big movement in the industry to serve people in a different way. So the traditional model, of course, is, hey, if you have a million dollars, you can work with me and I'll manage all your money. And it's kind of kind of traditional. But I personally have set up my firm to be accessible to anybody. So I will work with anybody, even if they have literally no money, because I just want to be able to make financial education and especially financial coaching accessible to everybody. So I, I, I have a strong coaching component as well. And I think a lot of people need coaching often more than they need investment management or planning. So it all kind of fits together. Well, speaking of free advice, let's give some listeners some of your free advice and I'll try to chime in. I love having co-hosts that are so experienced like you. It really makes this episode so much easier and so much more um, beneficial. So let's start off with Florence. She reached out on Instagram and uh, she's a Silicon Valley mom working for a rapid growth startup. And she says the podcast has really resonated with her. I'm so happy to hear that, Florence. Thank you so much for reaching out. 
Here's her question, Michael. So she recently got promoted. Congratulations, Florence. And she says, now for the first time in my life, I'm making six figures a year. After taxes, it's more like 72,000. Oddly enough, she says, we're also now living paycheck to paycheck, sometimes beyond that. And she thinks she knows why. She says, look, I work 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day. I come home and I'm continuing to work in the e- into the evening hours. And what does this mean? This means a lot of takeout food, a lot of ordering in, Uber Eats, etc. And she says, you know, I do this because I'm trying to make up for my absence throughout the week. And so I spend a lot of money on things for our family and then also eating out on the weekend. She's 32 and her husband's 33. They don't have anything stashed away for emergencies and they have growing debt that they now have to pay down. So the question is, how can I get a handle on my spending? I have this huge emotional tie to it, she says, and it's hindering our financial growth. Wow, I can really relate to this. I think a lot of listeners can too. It's this sort of um, this sort of vicious cycle where you, you're like, okay, great, I'm finally breaking through this salary barrier, right? I'm making now th- this six figure milestone. Feels really great, but then to get to that hundred thousand dollars, you might be working more hours, and at this point too, you might have a family. So. It's it's hard to save because you have to now pay for some conveniences to make up for the lost time. So it feels like this hamster wheel. And, and I've got some thoughts, but I'd love to hear from you, Michael, first about just how she can get a handle on some of this spending. It sounds like they need to really sit down and budget. That's exactly where my head was going. I'm a huge fan of budgeting. I think budgeting is the key to just about every financial problem out there that when it comes to kind of figuring out how to how to intentionally manage money. So I'm a huge fan of budgeting. And my favorite app is, uh, I think you mentioned last week on your show, Farnoosh, it's You Need a Budget or YNAB or YNAB for short. Yes. Um, I've been using YNAB for, for years now. And my friend Alyssa actually introduced it to me. And she made me uh, promise to mention her name on your show because she actually turned me on to your podcast too, Farnoosh. So, oh, wow. so, so she deserves credit for that. Yeah. But, um, so YNAB is a, um, it's an amazing app that really budgets differently than traditional budgeting apps. So a lot of people, they get hung up on traditional budgeting apps like Mint or um, Every Dollar because they kind of make you predict at the beginning of the month, um, you know, exactly what you're going to be getting and then predict exactly where every dollar is going to go. And that's not really how life happens. And so a lot of people are going to get turned off of budgeting because of these traditional style of budgeting apps. So YNAB is different in that it budgets how real life happens. When cash comes in, you allocate the cash as it comes in. And then as more cash comes in, you allocate more. And it really encourages you to get ahead of your money. And so your age of money increases and it really keeps you far away from that paycheck to paycheck kind of lifestyle because you're getting so far ahead of your money. And I found that once you start looking at exactly where your spending is going in the app or on the um, desktop app, you really start to make choices that get you in a better place. I mean, I consider, you know, we could probably both sit here and say, oh, you know, here's how to eat cheaper and you can Google all that stuff and that's all out there. It's really about paying attention to what's happening with your money. And when you see it in, you know, quote, black and white, so to speak, in the budget, that helps you really get a handle on what's happening. Yeah. And why now, by the way, you can try for free for the first 34 days. And they've yeah, got a, there's yeah. an app. And I, I did mention this last week on the podcast. I mentioned this as a tool. People wrote in. They were like, thank you so much for mentioning this. I'm either already a subscriber and it's changed my life or I'm new to this and I'm looking forward to testing it. 
part of also what is, I think, helpful, what we, we would be helpful for Florence is to really create systems in her life where just hearing her talk about the lifestyle right now, right? She's getting home. She's crashing. She's got to continue working. She's got two kids that are probably hungry. Pre-planning, you know, the week. Like I'm a big believer in thinking things in advance. Every Sunday, meal planning, figuring out, okay, what are the days that we're going to maybe order in? That's fine. We're not saying go cold turkey, but then maybe three to four nights, you're prepping some of the meals ahead of time. Perhaps it's also worth the investment. You might have, you have to run the numbers, but to hire someone to prepare meals for your family. And there are actually services out there that will deliver meals to you. And it might even be more uh, cost effective than ordering in. And especially like when you're ordering in, it's not always healthy. You don't know what the ingredients are. Uh, There are a number of like meal planning uh, companies and meal delivery services out there that might be actually a cost savings for you, uh, given you know how much it sounds like you're spending on this. But it's true. I feel like when you're making more money, sometimes you have to do invest in these systems and efficiencies so that you can continue to make the good money. But yeah, budgeting is one area. Planning is another area. Food is a huge part of everyone's budget. You know, it doesn't feel like it because it's like $8 here, $10 there, a couple of grocery runs, but it is, you know, over the course of a month, it could be over $1,000 for a family of four. You could cut that down by 50% with just a little bit of planning. All right, Ashton has a really good question and he wants to know, you know, a lot of people talk about, including me, how to pair a 401k with a Roth IRA. It's a great way to diversify your tax exposure. But what if, he says, what if I'm utilizing my company's Roth 401k? which is sort of the hybrid of the Roth and the 401k, what type of account should I open next? My sense of this, Michael, and you can tell me if you disagree, is that because with a Roth 401k and how it works is you can invest in a 401k you know, up to what is it, $19,000 this tax year. Right. And it's the contributions are tax deductible. When you add the Roth layer to it, so the Roth 401k combination, it doesn't change the contribution limit. You can still contribute up to 19,000, but the tax, the tax benefit changes. It becomes more of a Roth IRA in that sense where you pay for, you pay into this uh, account with after tax dollars. You then get to pull out this money in retirement after age 59 and a half without any tax exposure. So in, if that, so that given that, then I'd say, the best next vehicle would be a traditional IRA because then you're getting the other side of that tax benefit, which is you get to deduct your contributions uh, today, lower your taxable income today with a traditional IRA, whereas you don't get that with the Roth 401k. But let me know if you think that's wrong or maybe there's a better solution. Well, there's no really right or wrong because everyone's situation is different. Um, I personally would lean Roth for both accounts, uh, but it really depends. So, I mean, if you have a reason to do a traditional IRA, like you want to actually lower your uh, taxable income for other reasons, then yeah, traditional would make sense. But in general, assuming Ashton's kind of on the younger side and um, all of the things are kind of, there's there's no other glaring details that are factors here. I'm really pro Roth. I mean, I'm leaning toward doing the Roth 401k as well as the Roth IRA because I'd rather pay taxes on the seeds on the harvest. I usually the analogy I use with clients a lot is, you know, if you if you have a, a harvest, do you want to pay taxes on the seeds now or do you want to pay taxes on the harvest later that's worth a lot more? And the analogy is very easy to get because it's like, oh yeah, I, I would pay taxes on the 
the stuff that's worth less now because I want to save that money and then have it tax-free later. So I'm really pro-Roth. So again, if the assumptions are correct here in my head on what Ashton's situation is, then I'm going to go Roth 401k and Roth IRA because I want the tax-free growth. So then to be clear, you can have both a Roth 401k and a Roth IRA Yes. without yes. any problems with the IRS. Correct. Okay, cool. And yeah, you're right. I mean, assuming he can qualify for Roth IRA because there are income restrictions, whereas yeah. there aren't any for the Roth 401k. That's correct. So, There's lots of details we don't know about Ashton, right. so those are all kind of the caveats and disclaimers, but yeah, yeah. in general, yeah. Perfect. Okay, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I like what you're saying, and I'm you've changed my mind, if that is the case, if all these uh, details yeah. are yeah. actually true. But I guess, Ashton, you're, uh, the, the short answer is you've got options, <laughs> and right. it really right. just depends on what your situation is and then you know where you think your income level is heading. If you think you're going to be making, if you can qualify for the Roth IRA, I think you should should do it. Okay, Quinn with two eyes. Actually, her name is Kate, but her Instagram is Quinn, 29 years old. She says, finally, I've been able to start a small emergency fund for myself and pay off some debt. So I'm clapping for you, Quinn. She says, I'm now down to a federal student loan, a refinanced private loan, and my car loan. I rent my apartment. I don't have a 401k as I've only had jobs that do not offer this benefit. I've had multiple part-time jobs at once, including uh, being self-employed. I haven't had any extra money to put into savings and towards debt until now. So my question is, do I continue to really attack the debt while putting what I can into my emergency fund? I plan to eventually open up a Roth or a SEP IRA because she's self-employed or both, but I feel like I should try to get rid of my debt first. Should I open one now um, or focus on building my emergency savings first? So retirement or emergency savings. Like if we're talking basics here, Michael, I feel like the next step is get at least like a month or two of emergency savings. Yeah, I agree. That's the first step. You want to have that buffer against a rainy day. Yeah. Yeah. And then so if there is a hierarchy here, what would you recommend? So I'm definitely going to build up the emergency fund first. I want to be sure that that's kind of designed to keep me from going into debt further. So I certainly don't want Kate to have some, you know, the the car breaks down or something happens and, you know, then she has to go further in debt to address it. So I definitely want that emergency fund there first. And then after that, I wish I knew the amounts because the amounts of the debt would definitely make a difference in my mind. So if it's, let's say it's a reasonable amount that can be paid off in, you know, two to three years, I'm going to attack the debt next. I'm a big fan of wiping out debt as much as possible, as early as possible, because then your income is free up to do the investing you want to do. So my order of operations in general, if the debt is easily paid off within two or three years, is going to be emergency fund first, then wipe out the debt, then start leaning heavily into investing. Now, if the debt is larger, let's say it's going to take, you know, five to 10 years to pay off, you know, then that opens up some other options I would definitely look at. But if those assumptions I'm thinking of are correct, that's kind of the order I would go in. I love that. That was really great specific advice. Kate, I'm sure you're going to have questions as you enact this plan. So be sure to keep listening and and keep your questions coming for us. This is a weekly episode. So we want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're getting support along the way. Okay. Nellie has a question and she says, Hey, Farnoosh, my husband has a mortgage, $145,000 on an out of state rental property. This is in Georgia, this rental property. 
He's got this property with his uncle. And then aside from that, the two of them have a home mortgage, she and her husband, in New York where they live that totals $350,000. Okay, so we got that math. It's about $2,700 a month, uh, the mortgage. She says the renters pay the Georgia monthly mortgage in full, which is about $1,200 a month. So the mortgage on the rental property is taken care of by the rental income. That's great. The question is, she says, we want to know what is the best approach to pay off these properties sooner rather than later? Do we start with the rental, which is a lower monthly cost and would then provide residual income to help pay off our New York home? Or do we pay our huge mortgage first? She says, we've got goals to help our kids with college, which starts in about six years. So being mortgage-free could really support us with that goal. She says, we have a combined income of 175000 I uh, alone am saving for retirement pre-tax at 19%. That's great. And I have two emergency, two months worth of emergency, excuse me, and I'm aiming for a six-month emergency. Hearing her, Michael, you know, she's comparing these two mortgages by what seems to be the the monthly amount. She's saying like the Georgia is the sort of the smaller uh, monthly payment, smaller balance. And then the New York primary residence has like almost, uh, well, I'd say more than double uh, the balance. But should she be more concerned about the interest rates on these mortgages as far as which one to pay down more rapidly? What's your philosophy when it comes to like in this situation, you got two debts, two similar types of debt, which one yeah, should this be is, priority? Uh... This is an interesting situation, isn't it? It's kind of uh, kind of unusual. So, I guess what I what I'm thinking is there's a big unknown here with the rental. The rental is owned uh, by the husband with an uncle, which is a little bit of an unknown, a little bit of a I would consider that a little bit of risk. Um, however, it's cash flow neutral, so it's kind of not bothering me necessarily. It's kind of just hanging out. So, for me, what I would do is I would lean toward focusing on the personal mortgage first, um, your primary residence. Um, I divided that by, you know, six, it's roughly 58,000 a year. So in six years, um, you know, if you want to start helping kids with college in six years, you would be paying off the mortgage at a rate of about 58,000 per year, which on your income is technically doable. It's tight, but it's doable. So that could be a route to go. Now, here's what else I'm going to do. This is probably not, you know, what, uh, what's realistic here and probably not what, you know, Nelly wants to do, but you know, I'm going to probably unload the rental. Like I'm just not, it doesn't sound very useful to my situation. I'd rather, maybe there's some equity. Maybe we can, you know, either sell to the uncle and just get out or maybe sell the whole thing and take the proceeds. If it's possible to cash out equity in that rental, what I'm going to consider is cash out the rental, clean up the life, clean, clean up my life by getting that out of the picture, get that risk, get that complexity out of the picture, take the equity from that, throw it at the personal mortgage and then get closer to paying it off. And then potentially in six or seven years, you're mortgage free and can really, do a lot of good toward helping your kids with college, which is your goal here. So that's kind of one scenario I would strongly consider. I think that's brilliant. I think that's a really great plan. It does obviously depend on what kind of equity we're talking about in that rental property. But you're right. It, it seems like it is it is a neutral cash flow, but then I don't know, what, are we factoring in the taxes? Are we factoring in the maintenance as well? Because this could actually be a negative. 
Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, we don't know a lot of details here. So a rental can can seem cash flow neutral on the surface until something breaks or, you know, it sits vacant for three months and then suddenly you've got issues. Yeah, and you got to pay taxes on the income. And then, yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing is, um, I'm going to guess that the in the depending on, of course, when this was when they've created this mortgage, but it, the interest rate on second homes is typically higher than primary. So if this is even the more expensive debt, yeah, I'd say think about selling it even to, you know, either the uncle or just putting it on the market and parting ways with it because yeah, it's cleaner that way. Yeah. You, you probably do more with the, with the equity. And in this case, if they do want to aggressively pay down their mortgage, there's no better way than having a lump sum to be aggressive about any financial goal. Okay. Next question here is from Brianna. Brianna says, I recently discovered your podcast and I've binged on every episode since, and I realize I need to start taking control of my finances. Well, I'm so glad that you had that breakthrough. This is really great. I love hearing this, Brianna. She says, I graduated with a business degree and around 50,000 student loan debt. Since then, I've been working retail management jobs, making 35,000 a year at most. She's gotten married, two kids, They've accumulated even more debt. Currently, not including the mortgage, she and her husband have around 75000 in debt. The majority of that is her student loans. Her husband makes three times as much as she does, so around, I guess, 100000 a year. And he has an awesome retirement package. She has about $5,300 sitting in a traditional IRA. I'm wondering what is the best option for this money Right now, it's just sitting and being charged $25 a year. So this so this traditional IRA, we should mention, she converted after she left a job where she had a 401k, converted that into an IRA, which you can do. Uh, but it sounds like the bank is charging her $25 a year uh, for maintenance. So wants to ask us, I guess, how to take control of her debt. And it just seems like they need a break. I'm kind of stuck on this only earning 35000 a year. How about you, Michael? I feel like that was the big wait a minute for me. Yeah. For me, with a, a business degree, I would want to look to increase my income. I would yeah. be focusing on that part, uh, among other things, but I would really want to focus on that. If I were sitting down with Brianna, I would say, hey, let's talk about how do we get your income higher? Yeah. If you took out $50,000 to get the degree, I would want you to make at least $50,000 in the early years of being in the workforce, the potential is really there for her. Maybe it means switching re- industries, maybe getting out of retail and going into another industry or looking to become more of a, a manager in those positions because you have um, a business degree and that's you know worth something. And I think if you even maybe took some online courses to, if you feel like you need a little bit more education to get to those positions, I think it's worth the investment because to me, it just sounds like you're worth it. And you should be making more. It doesn't, it's not gonna be a quick fix. Obviously, they've got some other more urgent things they wanna take care of, like the debt. And, you know, I guess she wants to figure out what to do with her retirement account. Any advice on that? It seems like $25 a year isn't, isn't crazy high, but is there a way to even avoid that? So part of what I try to try to be good at is to read between the lines on what's happening here. And without more details, it's a little bit tricky. But what I'm seeing and hearing here is I hear a lot of default kind of language, meaning, uh, you know, the um, 
the IRA was uh, automatically put there when I left a job from an old 401k. And so what most people do with a 401k, and I don't know if this is true for Brown or not, but you know they kind of take the default investments, maybe it's an, a target date fund or something. And then when it goes into an IRA, it was automatically put there, which kind of tells me that it sounds to me like the language being used implies sort of a hands-off approach to what's happened so far. So that tells me that it may not be invested terribly appropriately for, for Brianna. So what I'm going to suggest is, you know, I would encourage you to take a look at it and intentionally choose the investments you want it in, um, you know, do a risk profile, talk to an advisor, at least, you know, do some research, uh, figure out what investments make sense for you if on the younger side, you know, probably pick equities for the most part, maybe even an index fund, something that's, you know, a little more reasonable and you, you actually make a conscious decision as opposed to just kind of automatically letting it just sit there by default. So I would do that. Uh, the fees aren't outrageous. I mean, you can definitely get, you know, get that $25 a year, you know, gone, but it's not outrageous. So I, I'd be more concerned about the investment itself. So that's kind of what I would do with that is get it put into an account that you have made an intentional choice, perhaps with some help. Yeah, and actually start recontributing if, if possible. Yeah, if possible. I think it's tied to, to income, though. And I know that you know, we talked about that already. And uh, from what I understand, retail management is the compensation tends to be lower than in other industries. And so I like what you said, Farnoosh, about let's explore other industries. Let's explore, you know, maybe even uh, being yeah, tech or being flexible, maybe, maybe project management in a software company or maybe something using a, a business degree is so flexible. You can do so much with it. You can do project management. You can do customer service. You can do sales. You can do all sorts of things. And so there are lots of other industries out there that I think your business degree might be really well suited for. And I'm just going to throw this out there because I just interviewed her on my podcast. This is It's going to air, let's see, uh, ooh, and, well, it actually aired Wednesday. I'm looking at my calendar now. Check out, I know you've been binge listening to the podcast, but if you want to fast forward a little bit and just go to episode 958 with Samantha Edis, she started a company called Park Place Payments, and it is really designed to support uh, educated parents who perhaps have children at home. They've taken time off the workforce. They want to get back in, but they don't want to kind of go back into this rigid corporate environment where they have to be accountable 10 hours a day. They get home late. It's like not really suitable for their demands at home, you know, given their demands at home. And so she's created a model where you can actually work um, as an account executive in the credit card processing industry and work with local businesses in your town, kind of design your own hours too. And I I, nice. I would imagine it pays a lot more than 35000 if you really want to, you know, take it by the reins. And that's kind of the beauty of it, too, is like, I think you make as much as you put into it. It's it's really merit-based. Um, so check it out. And if you want, there's a $100 coupon for the training uh, that you can get online to apply for this position. And I think the code is Farnoosh. So go to parkplacepayments.com and check that out. Just throwing it out there. Have no idea if you're interested in this, but this is the sort of stuff that I think is out there. A lot of times we just don't know. We are used to working in a one particular industry. We only know one way of working. We assume everything is like this. We assume everyone pays 35,000. Not true. I think you have a lot of potential out there. Agreed. So thank you, Brianna. Thank you for joining the podcast and being so dedicated to listening. Michael, what are your plans for the holidays? Can you believe we're already in November? 
I know it's crazy. We've uh, my four year old is li- has been living his best life this Halloween. We've had a great time. He's uh, he dressed up as Miles Morales, uh, Spider Man from Into the Spider Verse, and he wore it like ten times at, at so many different Halloween events. We we've been having a blast. So uh, when you have kids, the holidays is just fun. So we've had a lot of fun with that. Um, doing a little bit of traveling as well, uh, but just kind of kind of getting together with family. So what about you? You basically took the words out of my mouth because my five-year-old was also Miles Morales for nice, for, nice. But he was also he. Got, I mean, I'm I'm terrible. Like I really give in to the creative desires of my kids. Like he wanted to be Miles Morales, and then he turned around. And he goes, "I want to be." you know, a transformer and then I want to be Woody. And so we have a lot of costumes that we, we've been, we've been doing a lot of costume changes, uh, Halloween fresh Halloween for us actually starts around October 15th (laughs) where he just, (laughs) you know, we got to get the costumes early and then he can't wait to wear them. Yeah. The whole month of October is Halloween as far as I'm concerned. And four or five years old is kind of peak Halloween. I think, Um, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe it just gets more dramatic over the years, but, uh, it's always (laughs) something we look forward to. One thing I forgot to do while I have you is, you know, I've been offering these free 15-minute money sessions with uh, listeners who leave iTunes reviews. And maybe this is something you can start offering on your podcast. It's a great way to really get in touch, really in touch with your listeners, because what's more in touch than a voice-to-voice phone call? Which, I mean, when was the last time you had a voice-to-voice phone call? I'm all about text and like, it's funny, I communicate on like Facebook Messenger more than I probably call people. Oh, I, I still like talking in real time. I, I talk to people on the phone via Zoom, via, yeah. So Well, good for you fine. for doing that. That's really, it's special, even, you know, considering where we are today in the world of technology and we've kind of lost that human element in so many ways. Yeah. But I've been offering these free 15-minute money sessions. Once a week, I pick somebody from the iTunes review section. My goal when I started this many, many weeks and months ago was to get to a thousand reviews. And guess where we're at? Uh, probably a thousand reviews. Nine hundred and ninety-nine. Close enough. Close enough. Maybe One by more. the time One this more. airs, it'll be a thousand. But I, I'm not going to stop. I'm, I'm going to keep going because I really do enjoy hearing from everybody. And I, I just, I'm sorry, I can't do it with everybody. But this week, we're going to announce a winner, as we do every week. We've been doing this for quite some time. Alexandra Stockwell. She left a review on October 23rd, five stars. She calls this the podcast for smart women who haven't always made smart choices. And I don't want to keep... These kind of make me uncomfortable reading out loud. So I'm just going to stop there and just be so grateful for Alexandra because she goes on with like the most generous review. Um, But really, this is more for me to give back. And so Alexandra, get in touch, please. Email me, farnoosh at farnoosh.tv. Let me know that I read your review and we will get a time on the calendar to connect and talk more about how I can help you. And I'm offering this again every week. So if you're so inclined to leave a review, now's a better time than any because you might actually get a chance to get some personal one-on-one help from me. And if you don't feel like it, no problem. Please keep your questions coming anonymously if you want. I'm here for you. And Michael, thank you for being here for us. Really appreciate you. And want to remind everyone to go back and check out your podcast. Your website, by the way, is elevationfinancial.com. Your podcast is Wealth Redefined. Thank you for your work. Yeah. Thank you, Farnoosh. Great being here as always. 